Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast, where your source for personal, professional, and organizational growth and development, where we share original research, explore industry trends, and interview executives and thought leaders from across the globe. We hope you join us often for practitioner-oriented content around all things related to leadership, HR, talent management, organizational development, and change management. Maximize your personal and organizational potential with Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Do you enjoy the Human Capital Innovations Podcast? Enjoy ad-free listening by going to the Patreon page, and please consider contributing even at the producer or sponsorship level. And please leave a review. Thank you for your support. Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. In this HCI podcast episode, I talk with Edward Sullivan about his new book, Leading with Heart, Five Conversations that Unlock Creativity, Purpose, and Results. Edward Sullivan, welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Thank you. So happy to be here. It is a pleasure to be with you today. You're joining us from New York. I'm south of Salt Lake City in Utah. And today we're going to be talking about your new book, Leading with Heart, Five Conversations that Unlock Creativity, Purpose, and Results. All of those, of course, are... Yes, for those watching the video, you can see uh, Edward holding up his book. Uh, Fantastic book. Great topic. I love the title and the subtitle. There's so much there for us to unpack and talk about together today. Before we get started, I just wanted to share a brief bio with everybody. Edward Sullivan is the CEO of Velocity Coaching, an angel investor, and the author of the Wall Street Journal bestselling book, Leading with Heart. Velocity Coaching brings top-tier executive coaching to entrepreneurs and innovators. Their goal is to build lasting companies that impact the world in positive ways. I love that. And is there anything else you'd like to share with me or my audience by way of your background or personal context before we dive on in? You know, just uh, I really love my work. Um, it kind of found me. I like working with other coaches who uh, were drafted into coaching. Um, I was running a, a strategy consulting business in Salt Lake, uh, not in Salt Lake, in Silicon Valley um, in the uh, late 2000s, early 2010s. And some of my business school classmates asked me to coach them. And that's how this whole journey began. And um, now John and I run this firm. We've got 30 coaches. We work with over 100 great companies ranging from 10-person startups to companies like Apple and Geico, and I just feel really blessed with the journey. Yeah, that's fantastic. And coaching really is a wonderful field, uh, executive coaching, organizational um, mentoring and coaching as people are trying to navigate their careers and find fulfillment and meaning and purpose, trying to to lean into their own potential and develop themselves. I think all of that is just super important. And uh, as a coach myself, it, it's something I derive a lot of meaning from. Uh, so again, a wonderful background. I really appreciate you taking the time to chat with me today. Now let's dive on into this book. I always like to ask authors, why this book? Why now? Uh, there's lots of books out there. There's You have a long uh, storied career. You've done lots of really great things. So why did you pick this moment in time to write this book and get um, spread your message out there? Yeah. You know, it was about three years ago, John and I were 
chatting about our work. And we really had a sense that we were doing things just a little bit differently, maybe differently than other firms. Um, and our, our, we were getting feedback from our clients and then so many referrals from our clients. We were forced to kind of grow the firm, recruit more coaches, but we realized we didn't want to, we didn't want to get too big, right? We wanted to kind of cap the growth of the company at a, a certain level so that it still felt manageable, but there were more and more people who still wanted the message, right? They still wanted to work with us. So really we wrote the book as a way to get this whole idea of balancing the head and the heart of really helping people build these muscles, these conversational muscles so that they can have more connected conversations in the boardroom, more connected conversations in the executive team, um, as opposed to staying very tactical and very strategic, right? We think that great leaders are able to do both. And um, it's a message that has resonated and it's a message we really enjoy sharing with our readers and with our clients. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I think great leaders are able to do both. They need to be able to tell the story. They need to connect to emotion. They need yeah. to connect to people's passions, um, but they also ha have to, you know, have the data. They have to have the evidence. They have to support what they're saying. So we can't just spin a tail. You know, you have to have some uh, evidence to support it, um, but you're absolutely right. If we can do both, I think that's the rare leader. That's the rare executive uh, that's that right. can tap, tap into both and then really Right, you know, that's where the influence comes from. That's where you then are able to share your vision and not just have the vision, but be able to, you know, really draw people with you and and move in a direction collectively. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's it's the kind of thing that generates that engenders commitment and followership, yeah. right? When you can really connect with people, that's when they do the best work of their careers, as opposed to when they feel like they're just driven and they just have to deliver and they're not feeling emotionally supported or connected. <clears throat> they're not going to do the best work of their careers and it's going to lead to a lot of turnover. Like you were saying, it, it does really bring, it leads to greater levels of commitment. Um, I think lots of leaders use more of a carrot stick approach. Uh, mm -hmm. That is great for compliance. That's great for short-term bursts of energy and drive, um, but it's not really sustainable in the long run. Uh, if you want people to do their best work consistently over time, they have to feel really bought into it. Uh, they have to be committed and loyal to the cause, to the work that they're doing, to the organization, its customers. Uh, and, and that doesn't come uh, through really what I see as kind of the lazier approaches to leadership. If you're doing more top-down authoritarian style of leadership, uh, again, short-term carrot and stick, you can get some results. But are mm -hmm. you going to be able to get really great sustainable results over time where people are doing their best work and collectively, it's not just individuals doing awesome work, but collectively as teams and as an organization, we're just really pushing uh, the bar higher and, and accomplishing really great things. And uh, in my research, it's very clear uh, when we foster that level of commitment, we go far beyond compliance-based performance when we're, when we're driven by commitment uh, and we're passionate and we find meaning and purpose in the work that we do. We just do better work. Uh, we produce better stuff. We uh, we we put more energy into it. We're more committed. We're more engaged, uh, and we're going to have better innovations and creativity and bring more value to the market. And that's what every organization mm -hmm. wants. Um, but you know, and and I and I think most leaders recognize that. I think most leaders understand that if they're just um, you know pulling the manipulative levers, um, right. that there's there's so only so much that can get done. Yet that's 
that's what tends to continually happen uh, in yeah. most organizations and in most teams. And so a part of it is like, how do we get from kind of a conceptual understanding, a theoretical recognition that yes, that that approach is probably not as helpful. We need to move into this, this more um, purpose-driven uh, commitment-based approach, but how do we get there? How do we get from the understanding to the practical application, especially if we've lived our whole careers seeing leaders do it a different way. And now we're trying to shift, you know, our mental model and we're trying to shift gears with ourselves. I think the good news is that the shift is already underway, John. You know, I think we're seeing employees are demanding more what I call emotional incentives as opposed to simply financial incentives. You know, we do, I give, give a lot of talks around the country now related to the book. And I always ask the audience at the beginning, you know, what do you love about your job? You, you know, when you've done your best work of your career, what did you love about your job? And people invariably say, I worked with great people. I agreed with the, the, the purpose, you know, it was on mission. You know, I was really challenged. I was learning something. And guess what? Nobody raises their hand and said, Edward, I really love the money, right? I really loved the, uh, the snacks in the, in the kitchen. You know, I really loved, you know, they don't talk about all of the perks, quote unquote, that leaders and like HR teams spend so much time, you know, crafting comp packages and thinking about, look, everybody wants to get paid. Everybody wants a good um, health benefits package, right? Those are important things, but that's table stakes. That's the baseline. It's all of the emotional perks. It's how do I feel working here? That's what makes people stay. That's what makes them do their best work. And it's pretty unquantifiable. And it's one of the reasons why it's easy for leaders to fall back on the financial perks, to fall back on the, you know, well, maybe we need another ping pong table in here. That's what's going to get people motivated. Like, no, they want to feel seen. They want to feel heard. They want to feel, you know, valued as human beings, right? So we talk a lot in the book about, understanding people's needs and not just their financial needs, their emotional needs, right? Understanding their environmental needs. You know, what are the, who are the kind of people they are inspired by, right? What are the kind of conditions that they need to work in to do their best work, right? As a leader, you really need to be creating an environment, thinking about creating almost like this beautiful aquarium where all of the, you know, all of your employees can do their best work inside that, right? That's your job is to create a container, right? Where everyone does their best work as opposed to be really, really good about setting goals and accountability and standards and then incentivizing based on incentive structures and, you know, comp programs and bonus programs. Goals are important. Accountability is important. Again, that's the baseline. Everything else is the emotional yeah. context in which we, which people work. Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And like you said, don't get me wrong. Like I, I want to make a good wage. You know, I want, I want to earn money. I want good benefits. I like playing ping pongs. I like eating snacks. Yeah. So like, it's great to have those things, but those things in and of themselves don't mean much of anything if you have a toxic work environment. <laughs> uh, you know, exactly. like you you can have all the ping pong tables, you can have all the free snacks, you can have perks up the wazoo and a big long list of all the extra things, right? 
And it, it ultimately doesn't matter if you have toxic relationships in your team, uh, if you don't feel seen, valued, heard, if you don't have an opportunity to do meaningful work, et cetera, et cetera. And, and that's where I think uh, people uh, run into trouble because they, they, they'll look at, you know, the Googles of the world and they'll say, Ooh, look at, you know, these cool things that they're doing. Um, and then rather than taking the time to really think about, you know, their organization, their team, what makes sense uh, for the salient motivators of their people, you know, they just start to play copycat uh, and they start to bring in little perks that may or may not actually be all that meaningful or motivating to anybody. Uh, and again, if, if the relationships aren't there, it almost doesn't matter. Like you could have the coolest perks in the world. It's just not going to matter because nobody wants to wake up and go to work every day for a boss that they can't stand working with or with coworkers where there's a toxic competitive environment or, or whatever the case may be. So if we're, if we're trying to really get to the point where we are unlocking creativity as your subtitle um, proposes, you know, and innovation where, where we connect to purpose that will drive greater levels of results. How do we do that? Like, what can we start doing right now? Uh, if I'm a leader listening to this episode and I'm thinking, okay, this sounds great in theory, in practice, I still got tight deadlines. I still got to get stuff done. Mm -hmm. I got to be, I got to be on people's backs. I got to drive them to get finished, blah, blah, blah. Like how, how do you start to interrupt that? Yeah. I think the first thing you do is you create psychological safety, right? And what psychological safety means is uh, for your, your readers, your listeners um, who aren't familiar, it is creating an environment in which people feel like they can push back, right? Or they can say, I don't know, right? So many leaders today say, don't bring me problems, only bring me solutions, right? And we, we write in the book, if your people are afraid to tell you that they smell smoke, you will always be putting out fires, right? The best leaders say, bring me problems, bring the most intractable problems you have, bring them to the executive team, bring them to this office and we'll solve them together, right? Well, what happens is a lot of people don't bring problems that they don't have a simple solution to. And then the next thing you know, it's a whole shitstorm, right? Excuse my language in your podcast, but uh, it just turns into <laughs> a disaster, right? That's how a lot of big problems started as small problems that we could have dealt with if they had been shared. So we talk a lot about in the book and in our coaching about creating psychological safety, making people feel like they can roll up their sleeves, admit whether they don't have the answer and get collaborative and get creative. Another thing is, People need to feel like they can talk about their fears. They need to talk about like what's hard. They need to talk about what makes them feel unsafe, right? If we have to tamp down our fears, those fears are going to come out in, in toxic behaviors. So anytime you work in an office environment where people are undermining each other, they're getting political, um, you know, they're stealing credit, all that stuff is unprocessed fear that is coming out in really bad behavior. So it's like, you know, can you create an environment as a leader that makes people feel safe admitting when they don't know, admitting when they feel fear, right? And asking for help. That starts creating this, this container where people do feel like they can do their best work. Yeah, I like that container idea. Uh, you know, yeah. let's let's start to think in terms of of culture, and and that's um, derived from the broader environment. And if we can recognize 
um, those mechanisms in place that are undermining maybe our best intentions and our aspirations towards a positive company culture, uh, we can start to systematically create the type of environment that we want um, that will both reward good behaviors um, while discouraging negative behaviors and ultimately, yeah. first and foremost, make sure that we're providing that psychological safety, like yeah. you said. And, and guess what? Go ahead. Okay. Now, when, when you do provide that psychological safety and you make people feel like they can admit when they're wrong or they can admit what they don't know, then you actually have the ability to hold them accountable, right? Yep. Like think of like the toughest NCAA coaches out there, you know, like the Bobby Knights and like all these, all these folks who really drive their teams. They get to drive their teams hard because all of those kids know this person has my back, right? This person has invested in me emotionally makes me feel safe. So then you get to drive them hard, right? Because we've, we, we've, we have this agreement, right? Like there's an under, there's an understanding that there's a foundation of caring there. There's a foundation um, of caring. Exactly. Yeah. Right. There's a, I give you permission to hold me accountable because I know you care about me, but a lot of people, they get it backwards. They're going to, they try to start leaders try to start with driving and that never builds the relationship and leads to a toxic culture. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I've seen it so many times. I mean, honestly, it's what I see almost all the time is as you were describing mm -hmm. where a boss will say, don't bring me problems, bring me solutions. Right. And yeah. as soon as, you, as soon, like you said, as soon as you say that uh, it, it's well-meaning and I get that you want to be people to be proactive. You want people to own the problems you want, you know, you don't want people to have to come to you for every solution, et cetera, because that can be toxic in and of itself. But if, if you create this environment where people think they have to know the answer to everything before they ever come to you, then why are you even there? And the, the <laughs> most, the most perplexing right. problems require the greatest thinking of, you know, everyone around the room. Like you need collaboration to be able to, I mean, if it was an easy problem, then it would be solved. Like you would figure it out and you'd move right. on. And, it, but that's not how most of the challenges facing organizations are. They're, they're a challenge for a reason. They're really hard. They're messy. They're complex. Um, and there's not an easy solution. And therefore you have to be able to get input from other people. And if you're hiding that, uh, you might be able to cover it up for a while but you're just then, you know, creating a house of cards on top of a, a sandy foundation and inevitably, right. eventually it'll all come tumbling down. Yeah. If you are actually an innovative company, you're trying to create first of their kind, zero to one solutions. These are going to be hard problems. If they were easy problems, somebody else would have solved them already. There'd be no space for innovation. But if you're really trying to do something new, it's a blank canvas. No one has any idea. Let's get together and solve them. Let's solve these problems together rather than make, make people feel like they need to stay off on their own, right? This is what drives teams apart is they start to feel isolated, sitting with their own problems. They don't have permission to admit, I don't know what to do here. I feel incompetent. One of my um, early teachers talked a lot about conspicuous incompetence, right? When a leader can get up there, can very conspicuously say, I have no idea what to do. Everyone else in the team, they relax because they're like, okay, now I can admit I don't know what to do either. And in our, you know, our, our, our incompetence together, we then figure out how to get competent, right? We, we solve the problems together. But it starts with admitting you don't know what to do. Yeah, so there needs to be an appropriate level of uh, vulnerability uh, as we... Uh, connect leadership with the heart uh, that that requires vulnerability that requires yeah. demonstrating um, 
authentic caring for your people, all these things we've been talking about, you start to layer these things together. And then you get to a place where, you know, it's not going to be perfect. People are still human. People are still going to bug each other and upset each other. And they're still, despite your best efforts, there's still going to be, you know, personal stuff and ego and those sorts of things sometimes get in the way, miscommunications, et cetera. But when, when you're making a good faith effort and you show that you care and you're, you're depositing in the emotional bank, you know, and, and people recognize that you do genuinely care about them and you're being appropriately vulnerable, you're giving them permission to do the same. When you do that consistently over time, nobody expects perfection. Like they, yeah. they, they, rec- they recognize that you're going to sometimes have bad days, that sometimes you're going to completely get it wrong. At mm-hmm. some point you're going to probably misjudge them or, or have, you know, a faulty assumption or like, like those, everyone has it. Everyone knows that. Yeah. And nobody expects yeah. differently. What, what bothers people and what undermines trust in leaders is when you pretend like you got it all figured out and everyone mm-hmm. knows you don't have it all figured out. Right. Right, um, right. and, and then you start to get punitive on people who, who, you know, may uh, not have it all figured out themselves, uh, pretending again, like you have it all figured out and, and that becomes toxic. That just does not allow for people to do the best work. And at that point, people just start to kind of stay, play it safe. They just kind of do the bare minimum to get by. Um, and that's not going to drive creativity and innovation in your mark and your, you know, industry in your sector. Right. Yeah. Uh, and it's just going to produce all sorts of, of problems moving forward. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm glad you brought that topic up of perfectionism in leaders. Um, there's been a lot of focus for years on this whole idea of executive presence, right? Executive presence <laughs> is like, you need to have polish and lower your voice and have a firm handshake. And, you know, I, I mean, one, one thing, one thing I really appreciate about Silicon Valley and tech in general is it's like, you know, the leader who almost like looks the grungiest is, is often like the, the one who's held up the most, like the most authentic. But yeah, you know, when we think about it, like why are, you know, today's workers holding, you know, people with executive presence in contempt and like really awarding uh, or supporting like, you know, the hoodie wearing CEO. And it's because the, the perfect leader makes everyone else, as you said, feel like they need to be perfect too, right? And then everyone's wasting half their energy pretending to be okay, right? All that energy that could be going into innovation, all that energy that could be going into creativity, they're wasting it keeping up appearances, right? So the leader really sets the standard by saying, I'm imperfect. My hair's maybe unkempt today. I'm wearing the same sweatshirt for the third day in a row because I'm putting all of my energy into supporting this team, into innovating on our product, and to driving results, as opposed to putting up this charade. Edward, this has just been a really fun conversation. I know we've really scratched the surface. Uh, We could go way deeper, but that's what your book is for. So as we wrap things up today, I just wanted to give you a chance to share with the audience how they can connect with you, uh, find out more about your work, uh, your coaching, your speaking, uh, where they can find your book, and then give us a final word on the topic for today. Yeah, absolutely. Well, people are welcome to reach out through our uh, website, uh, velocitycoaching.com. I'm also um, a speaker through the Washington Speakers Bureau. You can find me there. And our book is called Leading with Heart. It's on Amazon. It's on Goodreads and everywhere books are sold. And I would say, you know, my challenge for everyone listening is what can you do to start with heart, right? As opposed to starting your meetings with, you know, this is this is our agenda. This is the 
you know, the, the to-dos and our tasks and everything I want to hold people accountable for, how can you start with heart? We start all of our meetings with five minutes of gratitude. You know, who in the room do you want to give a shout out to? Who do you want to thank? Who do you want to connect with? And then everyone is so much more present. I'm going to challenge everyone to do that. I love it. I love it. Edward, thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure. I encourage my audience to reach out, get connected, find out more about what Edward can do for you. And as always, I hope everyone can stay healthy and safe, that you find meaning and purpose at work each and every day. And I hope you all have a great week. Do you enjoy the Human Capital Innovations Podcast? Enjoy ad-free listening by going to the Patreon page. And please consider contributing even at the producer or sponsorship level. And please leave a review. Thank you for your support. Thanks again for joining us for this episode of the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. I hope you stay healthy and safe and that you have a great week.